Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Is that a glorious sunset I see? It seems to be coming closer. Why is the sunset coming closer, Adam? (laughs) Mount your horse, my friend. Off we go. Coming to you almost live from the empty catacombs beneath the Windspear, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your lost hosts. Uh, We were supposed to speak with someone from the the symphony. Yes. For our first episode back this season. Yeah, we were going to have a guest from the ESO. And unfortunately, we're lost in the catacombs underneath the Windspear. And I just received a text message from her saying... That there aren't catacombs beneath the windspeed. So we don't know where we are. This this has gotten p- pretty complicated. And uh, it looks like we are, in fact, not going to have a guest this episode. So you get a full hour. Of us talking. Or, or more. Who knows? We'll see where this whole thing takes us. That's right. It might be an epic seven-hour recording. It will not be an epic seven-hour recording. But could you imagine how unlistenable that would be? <laughs> It would be hard to come up with seven straight compelling hours. Yes. I, I, I think we could come up with seven straight hours. Maybe not compelling. You use the word compelling. Some of it, like a full half hour, is just the sounds of us napping. Yeah. Breathing hard. Uh, me weeping. I mean, Quietly. You, you get that every show. It's Yeah. Why, why string it all together at once? Seven hours is Why a blow lot. it all on the first episode? And, you know... Um, you know, I just, I feel like we don't want to deny, we don't want to diss our listeners in this way. No. You you don't want rubbish. And we don't want to feed you rubbish. No, we want to feed you goodness. Our goodness, straight from our everything. That's right. So open your mouth and get ready to receive our goodness. Mm, okay, so that didn't go as planned. Uh, this whole episode didn't really go as planned. It's true. Right from the get-go. We're so s- we're, we're just kind of winging it. Yeah, we are. Um, now, we took the summer off. We did. Uh, before we As we always do. As we always do. Yeah. Before we broke for the summer, though, we did a live show at the Citadel Theater. Which was successful, I would say. I had a lot of fun. Agreed. It was awesome. We uh, had many fantastic guests, including uh, Apocalypse Cow. And Karen Unland. And Claire uh, Bedford. And Samantha Power. And uh, more guys from Apocalypse Cow. Uh, yes. We, we used them in multiple ways. As, as we often as do. you have to with those guys. It's true. They're, 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 they fill many roles. They're like, and many holes. They're like the Swiss army knife <laughs> <laughs> of music. They are. I, that is going to be totally a tagline on their next post. I, I, I sure hope so. Because That'll be the pull quote. The Swiss Army Knife <laughs> of Music. <laughs> no, it was a great, it was really a great time. Uh, I, I'd say reasonably well attended. Too. I, I, was, I was very pleased with the turnout. We Agreed. had a really warm crowd that night. Um, a quick note yes. about our Patreon campaign. Ooh, yeah. That will be ending shortly. Yes. Uh, for reasons that we will get into also momentarily. Shortly, yeah. Yes. Uh, but uh, we'd like to say a very sincere thank you to the people who did support us, uh, even while we were on break during the summer. Thanks. Yeah. Um, in our in our season where we uh, attempted to go sponsorless. Yeah, we did. Um, it was not the success that we were hoping for, but nope. we did 
get some support, and and we would like to thank the people who have supported us so far. We gave it the old college try. So um, one of our supporters does not want to be named. That person knows who they are. To Colin McIntyre, Sam Brooks, Karen Unland, Sylvia and Darren Chevry, Delaney LaGrange, and Greg Beaver. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your support of The Unknown Studio over the years. And to all of our listeners, actually, even the ones who didn't give us money. Who have supported us over the years. Thank you. And uh, the reason we say that is because, listeners, we're coming upon the end. This is nearly it for us here at The Unknown Studio. The Unknown Studio will be closing its doors at the end of this year. Yeah, at the end of 2015, uh, we will record our last episode. It'll be a Christmas special. As they all are. Uh, But it will be a particularly spectacular Christmas (laughs) spectacular. It'll probably just be us and a guest talking about Christmas. Uh, That guest, TBA. Hmm. We will not be spoiling that right now. I have uh, talked to the person who will be our guest that we do want, and that person uh, was upset the show was ending, but very excited to be on the last episode. And should rightly be, because it will be... A very special episode. God. Someone will die. We're, yeah. Uh, maybe two people. It's possible. I will... You will hear me weeping quietly in the corner, <laughs> and it won't be seven hours long. No. So, but, uh, but yes, it's, it's time to finally shudder the Unknown Studio. Yeah. Shudder down, as they say. Um, so Scott and I got together... Uh, couple weeks ago after the, the summer break and had a conversation at our favorite bar in Edmonton, The Next Act. Who have been featured on The Unknown Studio. And, you know, actually, they did we we plan our first show there? I believe we did. I, I distinctly remember sitting down there with a laptop, trying to figure out what we were going to do, thanking Daryl Hook for giving us a name, The Unknown Studio. Yeah, he pitched like 12 names at us. Yeah, and only one of them stuck, which just goes to show you, Daryl Hook is terrible. <laughs> He is the worst person on earth, and I love him. <laughs> um, so yeah, we got together, and uh, you know, I had this feeling that the the live show was great fun. Uh, the Patreon campaign was a terrific experience to learn about the kinds of things that need to go into crowdfunding. And as I thought about it over the summer, and, and we talked about it when we got together, uh, you know, after six, well, I guess by the end of this run, it'll be seven, seven sorry, six and a half seasons. Yeah. Um, it's time to hang up the headphones. You know, it, we feel like the Unknown Studio has done uh, has been great. We've had a lot of fun doing it. We've gained a lot of experience, made um, lots of friends, way more enemies. Yeah, than that's friends. Fair. Yeah, and uh, that you know, it's kind of uh, I don't want to say run its course because that makes it sound like it's sliding, and it's not. We want to go out strong. We want to go out strong, like um, like Jerry Seinfeld did with that TV show that he was on. I can't yeah. remember what it was called. Yeah. Anyway. I wish I was making a million dollars an episode. <laughs> we tried. We did try. We really tried. We tried. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, uh, we discussed what would be in the final season. Yeah. We made peace with the fact that it was time to ride into the sunset, as we've already kind of alluded to in this episode, and uh, also have started to make plans for the future. Yeah. Rest assured, dear listener, that uh, Adam and I value each other's friendship and partnership over the years. Uh, Just because we have decided that it might be time to put the Unknown Studio to bed 
does not mean that uh, we're going to stop working together. No, we will bed many other projects. Agreed. Possibly even another talk show in the future. You never know. Not immediately, obviously, because that would be weird to just stop the Unknown Studio and immediately start the Unknown Studio 2.0. That would be strange. But uh, no, we, we, I mean, Scott and I have enjoyed a rich and healthy uh, friendship and partnership, and um, we will do stuff together, disgusting things together in the future. And beautiful things as well. Yeah. Mostly disgusting things. Most of it involves uh, body chocolate and um, nothing else. So, so there's that. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell that we were actually <laughs> expecting to have a guest. Yeah. On this show. No, there's lots to talk about. It's hard to talk about ending the show, though. especially considering it's still months away. Yeah, yeah, we've, um, we've got a, a good, I think, seven or eight episodes yet, including which this we've one. mostly planned out. All yeah, we've got we've got a very solid lineup of guests planned, if not confirmed, <laughs> for uh, for our final few episodes. We, as I said, we want to go out strong. We want to make the end of the unknown studio feel like. Any other unknown studio episode. Exactly. And not just be like, oh, it's it's just a chore to listen to it now. <laughs> do you remember We the... want you to be excited. Yeah, we do. We do. And and we can tell when you're not, so don't even try to fucking pretend. And also, yes, we are watching you. Yeah. Right now. Right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it kind of makes me think of um, the ending of Cheers. I, f- I, I feel like Cheers just kind of ended... Like, I mean, they, they did a finale, of course, but it wasn't the end of Cheers. Just like it's not the end of Scott and Adam. That's right. And I'm going to drink some coffee to that. Mm. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> Office coffee. Catacomb coffee is the worst. Yes. Why did I accept coffee from that mummy? The mummy <laughs> was offering a really great deal on the coffee. It was uh, free, but it did have mummy parts in it. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, consider this the beginning of the end. Yeah. Of the unknown studio. Which, and you know what? There's some housekeeping we're going to have to do. Um, I still have a whole bunch of unknown studio mugs. And we haven't given them away because we had signed them for an event and then they didn't get used. And then I ran them through the dishwasher and the signatures sort of came off. So, if you want, if you're interested in a slightly tainted <laughs> unknown studio mug, mug, but but the taint on it is Scott and Adam. Think about what I just said there. You can have an unknown studio mug with our taint on it. <laughs> this is what happens, people. This is exactly what happens. This is not the first episode we had intended, <laughs> but it's the first episode that we deserve. Yes, and, the, <laughs> and and for that we apologize. <laughs> but no, seriously, I I, we, I need to get rid of these mugs. You know. So if you want an unknown studio mug, and yeah. you uh, did not get in on the early unknown studio mug giveaways, yeah, you can have one that has a slightly faded couple of signatures. That's right. On them. <laughs> That's right. And, um, uh, just give us a shout. Yeah. On Twitter. Yeah. Or Facebook. Yeah, we're, the, we're in both of those places. And uh, say, hey, I want a mug. And uh, if you get in there early enough, we'll have some for you. And if you're too late, we'll just say, sorry, you're too late. Yeah. And then I won't have any mugs anymore. That's right. And the people that do can think about the number of times I just said taint. Every time they use that mug. Enjoy the coffee. Or whatever you put into it. That's right. Uh, so... 
off of off of depressing news. Yes, about the end of the unknown studio. Let us discuss things of better upliftedness. <laughs> I didn't have scotch before this. I promise. I believe you. I wish I had. Mostly. Yeah. There's other stuff happening. There has been other stuff happening. We haven't been here in the unknown studio talking to you about Edmonton in months and. Allegedly, some stuff has happened while we've been away. A lot of stuff has gone down in the city of Edmonton. That's right. Um, most notably, uh, I think that the whole city seems to be really excited about hockey this year. Uh, yes, because of some Connor McDavid kid? Yeah, some, some dude who's, who's like the great hope of the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, but how many other great hopes of the Edmonton Oilers have there been? Well, uh, Taylor Hall. Yep. Uh, Jordan Eberle. Yep. Um, basically all the young kids. Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, yeah, Neil Yakupov. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we have high expectations, but who knows where this will all go? The, the thing is, every time that we get uh, a number one draft pick, and we've had many of them in, in previous years. Yeah, like every year for the last five or something? Something like know. that. Uh, it's always been with this, hey, we're getting the, the hot superstar player, the one who's going to just turn, the, the guy who's going to be the next Gretzky. Yeah. He's going to turn this franchise around. And every time, we end up with another, another number one draft pick. Mm-hmm. So what makes Connor McDavid different? I don't know. Um, I haven't followed his career or read that much about him Um in a while, or, or at all, really. But people are describing Connor McDavid as a once-in-a-generation hockey player. And, you know, you think of, like, uh, Eric Lindros, Wayne Gretzky, um, uh, Sidney Crosby. Those kinds of players are few and far between. It's true. Um, but, but to your point, Scott, we've heard this before. Well, more than that, just because you've got a player who is supremely talented, who is, as you say, a once-in-a-generational player. Is the Oilers the right team for him to f- develop into that once-in-a-generation player? Historically, no. However, Daryl Cates did green light management to make some pretty big decisions last year. That's true. About getting a new GM, a new coach, uh, doing a little bit of house cleaning. And I have to believe... Maybe not. I mean, we. No matter who's on the team, it would be ridiculous to think they'd have any chance of winning a Stanley Cup next year. That's stupid. Don't say that. I just said it, but forget I did. So we all know that's not going to happen. However, they're building a new barn for the Oilers, just just down the street and above the ground from where we are. Yeah, and it looks nice. It looks great. And when it opens, I I, I know. Because this is how I would feel. I know that Daryl Cates wants to field a competitive hockey team in a new barn. For the first time in years. Since 2007? Yeah. And he, you know, so, it, but is Connor McDavid the guy to make that happen? Maybe. As a, fi- as a sort of a figurehead. In the same way that uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth makes things happen in the United Kingdom. Really? Because Britain's been on something of a decline since... It was a bad example. glory days of colonization. It was a really bad example. Although she's the oldest uh, reigning monarch. That's true. That is something that just recently 
came to pass. Uh, she I ha- reached that milestone. I had a friend send me a very disgusting text message when th- on that day, and he suggested that the queen made an obscene gesture at a painting of Queen Victoria, who was the, the person that she surpassed. I won't go into detail about precisely what was said in that text message, but it involved genitals. I would venture to guess that uh, Queen QE2, Queen Elizabeth II, uh, will retain that distinction of longest reigning English monarch for a good long time. Certainly for our lifetimes. Almost certainly. Because, I mean, that would mean basically she'd have to die tomorrow. Well, not only that, (laughs) um, she's been queen for 60 years. And uh, she's still going strong. I know. She's not going to drop dead tomorrow. She she drives herself uh, occasionally some places, which apparently she doesn't have a driver's license, but she's the fucking queen. Yeah, so so you just, you do that. Um, (laughs) She lives in a time where uh, medical technology is significant. Her her own, the queen mom, Mm -hmm. lived to be over 100. Yeah. And uh, Queen Elizabeth II has really no intention of giving up the crown anytime soon. So she could potentially outlive Charles, which is kind of a grim thing to say. How old is Charles? Is He's got to be in his 60s, right? At least. Um, almost certainly in his 60s. Yeah. She, it's not impossible that she could outlive him, which would be the only way in which the next monarch could outdo her reign. That's is if right. is if Chuck didn't take the throne and it went to the next in line after that, who is William? Yes, yeah. I always get the. Harry. I was going to say Harry, and I knew it was wrong because yeah. Harry's the younger brother. Prince William, if he were to become the next king, he would have a shot. I think of of reigning for over sixty years. Well, and especially you know, as as he ages, medical technology will continue to get better, exactly. and pretty soon he could just be a Futurama style head in a jar. Sure, why not? Um, but he would be the only person who would have a shot at that. Yeah. At at this juncture. Because Charles is certainly not going to reign for 60 years when he takes the throne. And if he takes the throne and even holds it for 10 years, that means William almost certainly isn't going to. So, so in our lifetimes, we will never see another epic British reign. Who, my, my, I, I will be, it'll be weird to see Queen Elizabeth II no longer the queen. Because oh she's been queen as long as either of us have been alive. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like seeing the uh, Alberta Progressive Conservative Party not in power in our lifetime. Whoever thought that would happen? Exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I mean, some it, things are so constant that the, you just can't imagine life without it, and then it happens. The question that I have though is when um, when Her Majesty finally uh, gives up the ghost, as they say. Do you think that'll mean dramatic changes in the way? England views the monarchy. Like, do you think? Do you think it'll be an opportunity to shake things up a little bit? I'm going to say yes and no. Okay. What do you mean? Um, the Queen is a surprisingly private person for being such a public figure. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't really. She's like a groundhog. She just pops out of the palace on occasion. Caesar shadow. Caesar shadow, and then goes on her way. Like she makes public appearances and whatnot, but she's she's very low key. Yeah. Whereas William 
it's kind of a royal rock star. Big time. And uh, although Charles, though he's big in environmentalism, um, generally is also fairly low key. He takes he takes kind of a key uh, cue from his mother in that. I think. Yeah. And although he'll he'll be very he he's very passionate about some things, and he'll you know appear and and do stuff about that stuff. I think for the most part he'd also be low key. But when William takes the throne, if William takes the throne, uh, I think that he would be a lot more. Uh, socially involved, I think he would be a lot more public and more accessible yeah. than the current monarch is, or even than his father might be. And I think that uh, you know his his wife Kate Middleton will will do well uh, in the spotlight. Yeah, as well. I mean, she's she's already they're already kind of like you said, rock star they're, they're monarchs, the royal rock stars. Yeah, I like that. That should be the name of their band when they start one. That just the uh, a traveling royal family band <laughs> with their kids. Yeah, just in a in a little VW bus <laughs> painted with uh, the Union Jack rolling down the street. Hey, man, stranger things have happened. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what they are. We we went off on a weird royal tangent from talking about the Oilers there. Well, I don't know. It kind of <laughs> makes sense when you consider the the stature of the team here in Edmonton. In oh, spite fair fair point. In fair spite point. of the fact that they do badly, there's renewed hope every year. And this year, more than any time I can remember, even with Taylor Hall and Nell Yakupov and, 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 and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, there is cause for excitement. And I'd actually be really curious to know, I, I don't know if I have the speed to look it up, but um, I wonder what tickets are going for for the first home game the Oilers play. I imagine it's obscene. More obscene well, the than preseason usual. kicks off right away. Yeah, they they've done the uh, the the um, rookies versus the Golden Bears already. Yep, and uh, they'll be doing the split squad action against Calgary after we record this, but before. It, no, wait, it's released because we're out. Do the math. Do the math. Yes, but before <laughs> you heard this, so that is in your past and our future, thanks to the magic of podcasting. That's very interesting. But uh, yeah, and then they pretty much just fly into the free uh, the preseason rather after yeah. that, and then uh, the season starts in early October. That's right. Now, did you happen to see any of the photographs of the of the crowds at the Golden Bears versus the Oilers rookies games? I did not, but I presume that they were sold out. Significant. It looked a lot of people are showing up to see Connor McDavid play. Yeah, and it, and apparently it's a lot of fun to see, which is exciting. When who knows who knew rather. I speak good words, <laughs> professionally. Who? Uh, who knew that when you have someone who is both excited to play hockey and skilled at playing hockey, that it is enjoyable to watch? Yeah, go figure. Or really for any sport. Yeah. Watching I, any athlete at the top of their game is incredible. That's why people watch the Olympics. I wouldn't know. It's been so long. I think the last time I watched athletes at the top of their game was two summers ago at the World Cup. That's it. So lots to look forward to sports-wise for the Oilers. Um, the Eskimos have been doing fairly well. Have they been? Yeah. I, I haven't been paying They're super close. At the time of this recording, yeah, uh, they are second in the West. They're okay. Not too bad. They're just two points back from Calgary, who are leading the West. That's exciting. Um, doing pretty good for themselves. And NFL football's just started. The Blue Jays, though, beginning yeah. of, of sports, the Blue Jays are doing exceptionally well. They are... Uh, they might, better than the Yankees, and that, really, that's what everybody cares about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Actually, they're doing so well 
that I've got a, a whole bunch of friends who've who've planned and, and taken trips uh, to to I think they're playing Boston right now to to Boston and to Toronto to watch them play. Which if you said that to me about someone going to watch the Blue Jays two years ago, I'd have laughed in your face. I would be I would not be surprised. Yeah. I was going to word it a little differently with uh, what I started with that. But I would not be surprised to see them in the World Series. Yeah. The way they're playing. For and sure. it would be weird to see them win the World Series. Oh, it would be interesting. The last time they were actually in the playoffs was ages ago, as I recall. Oh, yeah. It's certainly quite some time. But they've got a, a really good team this year. Yeah. That's firing on all cylinders. Uh, very nice. A sports cliche. Indeed. They are giving it. 110%. They are scoring the most ball points. <laughs> I think I lost the... Yeah, that's I think something I lost else. that there. That, that goes back to our conversation about listeners and open mouths. Probably not. Yeah. Now, um, a little closer to home than the Blue Jays, uh, once again. Uh, the issues with capital projects in the city of Edmonton continue. Yeah. Yeah, they finally got the LRT running, kind of. They they sort of do, yeah. Um, what a clusterfuck yeah. this has been. It's resulted in heads rolling at City Hall. Yeah. Well, not only did uh, the last guy who ran the transportation department retire, yes. uh, I don't want to say in disgrace, but he got the fuck out of there at just the right time. Yep. But uh, City Council voted, uh, I think, 11 to 1. Mm-hmm to show city manager Simon Farbrother the door. And he's been there a, a good long time. I th- has it been eight years or ten years? He's been there a long time. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was Stephen Mandel's hire mm-hmm. um, after Al Maurer left the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe how much I know about city managers <laughs> as, th- as I'm thinking about this right now. And, and you know, by, by all accounts, because, I mean, in our travels, of course, we know a whole, a whole heap of people that work at the city of Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon Farbrother was a good city manager. Yeah. Uh, but he wasn't um, involved enough in monitoring those projects and updating city council that it gave them any level of comfort of, I guess, keeping him around would be the... that, And that's my interpretation of it. That's not what someone said. Well, and fairly or unfairly, the city council has also gotten a lot of flack yeah. over some of this stuff happening. And because, I think... Yeah. I mean... Obviously, many of these capital projects were started years ago, before mm-hmm. the current city council was elected, but there are several faces on that council who were there at that time and were, in one way or another, involved in some of those projects. Including the mayor. Including the mayor. Yeah. And so, again, fairly or unfairly, there's some criticism being leveled at them. Well, and like, you know, there's there's this there's a whole political dimension to it, but if I'm, you know, a city councillor and I'm getting phone calls about... Grote Bridge, about the new Walterdale Bridge, about the LRT, about potholes, about and all just this delays stuff. after delay after delay. And it's embarrassing to to those people on city council to not have the answers. Yeah, because that, the city management hasn't been providing them. With yeah, them. so so you know, was it unfair? Mm, I don't know. I think that politically it was the right move for city council and. You know what? Well, maybe- and and something that that maybe is worth mentioning as well, uh, because some of our listeners might not know, city council does not run the, the city. The city, That's not what, in that way. Not yeah. in that they they make the decisions for the city, and then they 
have city management, which is the bureaucracy, the hired bureaucracy, mm -hmm. is responsible for actually setting those policies and those decisions in motion yeah. and seeing them through. City council, I mean, they're not necessarily engineers and and what have you that you, you need to be able to lay out the city and, and make plans for this and hire contractors and whatnot. And so, I mean, ultimately the buck does stop with the elected politicians, Yeah, but in some ways it was kind of the bureaucracy's mess up. In a way, yeah. And I, you know, Civics 101, city council is a board of duly elected individuals who set the strategic direction for the city and deal with decision-making that can't be done by the administration because by by law or by bylaw, it shouldn't be done by administration. Yeah, the, the, basically the, the, the city corporation, the bureaucracy, shouldn't be allowed to unilaterally make decisions. Exactly. And so, and in fact, you know, city councilors and the mayor aren't even employees of the city of Edmonton. That's not how it works. No, there are, there are elected representatives. Right. So, but the city manager is the only employee they hire. Yep. After that, it's up to the city manager to deal with all the other departments and, and, and uh, branches. Yes. So they wielded the one cudgel they had, I guess. And that which and that makes it sound like, you know, they were wrong. I don't I'm not sure that they were. I don't know that I'm qualified to say that they were. But they had to do something because people were crying foul and they needed to save face, frankly. And sometimes when the only thing you can do is push the red button, you push you just have button. to push the red button. Yeah. And blow it all up. Like, that's just, <laughs> sometimes that's what you have to do. Now, interestingly enough, a couple of weeks ago, the city of Vancouver fired their city manager. Yeah, a lot of heads rolling all over the country. Yeah, and so that that made me wonder, so I, I put it to you, Scott. I mean, if two uh, large Canadian cities are competing for a city manager, does, do you think that hurts us? I mean, Vancouver... You know, a lot of people may argue coastal city, uh, larger city, better city. Do you think the two cities looking for city managers at the same time hurts Edmonton's prospects? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, Vancouver probably has more money to throw at a city manager. They actually don't. Oh, well, there you go. They pay their city manager pretty significantly less than we do. Well, then that's already an advantage, Edmonton. There you go. Number two... Um, although Vancouver is maybe in a nicer location, mm -hmm. arguably. Some people might disagree with that. Yeah. Um, and maybe is a nicer city, arguably. <laughs> Again, some people might disagree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Two of them may be sitting in this room right now. Uh, but you also have to take into account uh, the question of what opportunities are there for a city manager in one of those two cities. Yeah. Like Vancouver's huge already. Um, the management position there doesn't pay as much. And the management position there, I mean, how much of the future direction of the city are you really going to be able to have a hand in? Whereas Edmonton's currently booming. Yeah. This is a great opportunity for somebody to step in and really put their stamp on the future of this city. That's a very good point. And so I would say that in a way, Edmonton might be a better opportunity and might be something that someone would be more interested in. Yeah, maybe. And, and I don't know the politics of the city of Vancouver, but you know, maybe that would be... A relatively simpler task, uh, I know that managing a city of any size isn't a simple task, but but comparative to Edmonton might be a little bit easier. Um, the other thing is uh, that I was going to say is Vancouver's civic politics are a lot more, 
I want to say polarized than ours. Because those yes. people run along party lines. It's just like in Toronto, as a matter of fact. Right. We've, I think we've had this discussion on the show before. Yeah, we have. And so, you know, maybe that could also become a factor in a city manager's decision. Do you want to become intertwined with this, this political landscape? Well, that- and especially considering there might be less um, uh, stability in the job. If you're appointed by uh, party A... Mm-hmm. Uh, to the city management position, and then in two years in the next election, party A gets thrown out on their ear and party B comes in. Does party B want to keep you around because you were their hire, or you were party A's hire, you weren't their hire, they might want someone different. You need a, um, you need like the guy who plays, uh, what the hell's his last name, Harvey on Suits, the fixer, to come in and fix everything in Edmonton. Kind of. Because you need... Someone who's going to make sure these these capital projects get finished on time. Well, get on finished. time according to their news schedules. Yes, uh, you want someone to fix the signaling problem with the Metro LRT line. Yep. So there's an opportunity. Although to be fair, uh, it was not the doomsday scenario that they had originally suggested. No, like it's not optimal. No, and it it needs to get better. Better for sure. But it's not the horrifying nightmare that they had suggested it was going to be. Yeah. Like the day before the the LRT opened. Yeah, they they were saying that motorists would be waiting up to 16 minutes uh around the LRT to get through signal phases. Yep. And um and one of the things this made me uh question cuz we've got the system set up so that the LRTs have right of way. Mm-hmm. But you know, places like Calgary don't. Why have we set it up that way? Speed yeah, I guess I guess it's easier to predict when the tr- if the trains are running on time or not based on uh them just being able to go through wherever the hell they want. Yeah. Well, not wherever the hell they want, but yeah. wherever the tracks are. It's true. Yeah, that was um it's a shame we couldn't do more underground LRT. It's so expensive. It is. It's hundreds of millions of dollars per kilometer. And we're so behind on that like a lot of uh underground metro systems were laid Hundreds, well, not hundreds, but but like a century ago, ago. Yeah. yeah, as much as a century ago in some places, and so they they have the benefit of having that infrastructure built in. Yeah, places like New York, places like London, which we don't have. We have sewer pipes and electricity running in the area where we would want to put that LRT, and that requires moving all that, and that's more money. Yeah, and then digging is expensive. Absolutely, but it's interesting. I was actually watching a, a video a couple of days ago about the um the New York subway system outfitting its old trains with new technology and they're still using like me- electric electromechanical switches in certain places that aren't even really computer controlled like if you want a train to be able to get on this track and one to stop before that other train gets on that track you pull a lever and you flick a switch and and you control lights and switch tracks like it's crazy how old their system is, but they're still, they're integrating new signaling systems into theirs. So in a place like New York, where the subway is a hundred years old in some places, they've figured it out. We could learn from New York. I feel like, you know, the signaling problem, I understand software is complicated when you're making old software, talk to new software or, or new software, talk to mechanics, but there's got to be a way for this to work properly. Now, in spite of all this. Yeah. I am happy that we finally have another LRT line. Me too. Me too. It makes us seem uh, like a city that is truly on the grow. Well, not only that, it's 
it's a step in the right direction towards better transportation planning in the city. For sure. We've we relied on sprawl for too long. And especially with the current whole quagmire with ride sharing versus taxis, oh boy. having different transit options is ultimately beneficial yes. to Edmontonians. And it actually, um, if you read a Mac Mail's post on the Uber versus taxi debate that happened at City Hall uh, last week, when you're hearing this episode, um, the the whole Uber, Ubers, Uber and taxis are needed in this city in order to fulfill the strategic plan that the city has around transportation. So yes, you need LRT. Yes, you need cars. Yes, you need bicycles. But you also need vehicles for hire. Yes. Um, did you follow the Uber and taxi stuff closely? Uh, I didn't exactly... Yes and okay. no. Uh, yeah. I didn't follow like the hours long uh, public hearing. Yeah, because that would have been a chore. <laughs> but uh, obviously, I was aware of uh, of the the talks that were going on. I was aware of many of the issues the taxi drivers had brought up. Uh, I'm aware of many of the issues that the uh, fans of Uber have have brought up. And I think there's valid points on both sides. As I've gone on record on this show in the past, saying I think that. Uh, Ride-sharing is uh, a great innovation. Mm -hmm. It's something that absolutely is is the wave of the future. Um, and I think that Uber is a super sketchy company that I don't trust, <laughs> trust at all. Yep. And I would be more happy with a different ride-share company setting up shop in Edmonton and, and working more with the city and with the taxi companies to come up with an equitable solution rather than just flipping everybody the bird and going and just doing whatever they want. That's my uh, problem with Uber. As you know, I'm a big fan. I love the service. But as I tweeted um, several times last week, they are behaving like children, both Uber and the taxi lobby. And not been... just in Edmonton. No. Either. Uber no. has been uh, a bug in everybody's butt everywhere. Yeah. Now, I will say this, uh, because I did listen to a lot of the executive committee meeting um, that, that where they had speakers from both sides talking, making different points, Uber conducted itself incredibly professionally and collaboratively during those sessions. So whereas in the media, they were saying things like the proposed bylaw that city administration wrote, it, forget it, it doesn't work. And so it's, it sounded like they were basically ready to take their ball and leave. But at executive council, they were suggesting ways that it could be changed that, that they would prefer. And they were not only that, but they were saying it felt like they were being reasonable. They weren't just saying the way to change this bylaw for it to work for us is to get rid of this bylaw and just allow us to operate. But it was like, it sounds like an Uber's line has been like this since they've been in Edmonton and other cities. Um, they do want regulation because they want to know what the rules are for them to operate legally in cities. But the problem is that they're willing to operate illegally in cities if there are no rules. But this, I get the strategy. They're, they're huge. They're a $50 billion company. And what they're trying to do is create demand for Uber. So that's why they come in and do... I don't agree with the tactic, but I understand why they're doing it. Now, you should have heard some of the remarks from the taxi side of things. Those people, and I'm, I mean taxi drivers and brokers need to get their shit together because they're they're all over the place. None of them are actually driving toward the same point. They sound like a disaster. 
talking to city council. And it doesn't help when you get up there and give remarks that say, you say to the mayor and to councillors, I donated to your campaign and you should resign. Do you really think that's a great place to start with those people? No. No. So they conducted themselves more poorly than I've ever heard, and they need to get their shit together. So I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where it's going to go. Someone uh, described, and I don't recall if I heard it in person or in Twitter, but somebody described the way that the the taxi supporters were acting at the uh, debate on Wednesday yeah, as mob-like. Yeah, it sounded like that. And, you know, that's, that's unfortunate. Because in many of the, the officially released statements from a number of the, the taxi organizations in, in the city, they have some very legitimate concerns and points uh, that they don't feel is being addressed at the moment yeah. in regards to ride-sharing. And the problem is when they, when they gather to actually um, bring these points up in person, it doesn't get across because they're, maybe it's just because there's so much anger mm-hmm. or because they're very passionate about what they do. And I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that's the case. Yeah. But they're not communicating it very well. No. And they And they do just seem like a bun- like an angry mob. Well. And, and I can see why there's that perception of them at the moment. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's necessarily fair because they do have legitimate concerns. Agreed. But. You're absolutely right. They need to get some spokesmen and have those people taking point on this and not just show up en masse and angrily shout. The communications professional in me thinks they need to figure out what their key messages are, and and that's that's the direction they should be going in. Now, I, I completely get that many of these cab drivers, they feel like, pro- probably quite rightly, that their livelihood is being threatened. And it's hard for them to see a future where under the proposed bylaw, they can be successful at their jobs to support their families. Um, I get, and so when they get upset and I'm like, oh Jesus, you can't, you can't talk like that. You, you as a human being, you have to pause and say, and ask yourself, why are they acting this way? So it's, it's a very passionate discussion and I totally understand why. It'll be interesting to see how it progresses over the next little while, for sure. Now, the big other thing that's going on, of course, is this month, months-long federal election. Yes. So this, Stephen Harper called this election at the beginning of August. Yes. Which makes it a, something like a 78-day campaign, the, the longest. longest in Canadian history. history. Now, um, I, I'm not exactly sure uh, the exact reason why he decided a long campaign was necessary, but I was listening to Canada his, Land. His official word on the matter was that he felt with uh, the situation in Canada and the situation in the world being as it is, that Canadians needed more time to make the right choice this October. Okay. So and that's the, the official line. That was the official line. So what the media cynics are saying is that, in fact... By every day you extend the campaign under Election Canada's rules, you're allowed to spend more money. And um, there's other election cynics who have pointed out that every day that you extend the campaign, uh, voters become more apathetic. Yeah, and not only that, but imagine you're the Conservative Party, and I have to believe they've got a considerable war chest. You can outspend your opponents. So oh, by the, vastly. By vastly. the time Election Day rolls around, the, uh, the noise, and I'm going to call it noise— 
that the that the conservatives compared to the NDs and the liberals are able to generate would be significantly higher. Or the higher. Greens or the Bloc, let's be yeah, fair. You know, They're that, also running in this election, and they often get uh, kind of overlooked in the, uh, in the face of the three, let's call them more competitive parties, the larger parties. Yeah. But they're, they have a horse in the race, too. And I really wish, um, I really do wish that the Greens ha- had the opportunity to win some seats. Because they're not, I, I like their policies. Somebody pointed out that, um, I can't recall where I read this. I'd, I'd cite my source, but... Um, <laughs> but we will do no such but thing. But we will do no such thing. That uh, back in the day, um, the parties were situated in such a way that you had, um, on the left of the spectrum, you had the NDs. In the center left, you had the liberals. In the center right, you had the conservatives. And on the extreme right, you had the reform. Right. But now it's shifted so that uh, now you have, on the extreme right, you have the conservatives. Mm-hmm. On the center right, you have the liberals. On the center left, you have the NDs. And the Green Party are the new left yeah. of, of the political spectrum in Canada. And I kind of agree with that. And they've been largely hedged out. That has... In spite of the fact they have a seat. That, yeah, that has certainly been the case. And not only that, but also like blocked from certain debates, too. Which is weird because, again, they're a sitting party... Yeah. And they, their leader has a seat, and they are campaigning in this election to win more. Like, I can, I can kind of understand the bloc not being invited beca- to, not to, non-Quebec, to non-Quebec yeah. debates, because they're not a national party. They're very regional. They've, they wear that on their sleeve. All the power to them. But the Greens are a national party. Yeah. And they have representation in Parliament. And this is not me talking as a big Green supporter or something. I'm just, I think it's weird that their leader is not invited to the same platform that the other leaders it, are. It does seem odd. And in fact, um, there is a what they're calling the uh, Monk Leaders Debate, which takes place September 28th. Elizabeth May from the Green Party has not been invited. And the Green Party is saying that by excluding Elizabeth May, the Monk debate is actually breaking the law because because they're a national party and they've got a sitting member. So... Who knows where all of this stuff will go, but I, I mean, I haven't paid super close attention if, to the debate. If the Greens didn't have a seat in Parliament, I would say, sure. Yeah. Like, they can campaign, but why not not invite them? Yeah. Like, they're, they're not even represented at the moment, but they are at present, and, yeah. and she should be allowed to be there. I know. It's, uh, it's been a weird campaign. It has. And it's like, been a weird, long, exhausting campaign. And you have to, I have to wonder, you know, Whatever Stephen Harper says about the reason he wanted it to be this long, like he also knew that there was going to be more Mike Duffy trial stuff. It was definitely a risk yeah. because the conservatives came into this election on the wrong foot, for sure. Um, with all this, with the problems with the economy, with the scandals that have been surrounding the Senate and kind of the PMO mm-hmm. and a number of candidates. Um, it's, it's not been a great campaign for the conservatives, but on the other hand, it hasn't exactly been a sterling campaign for the liberals or the NDs either. No, And it's still, as it was practically on day one of the election, a three horse race. And that just means that none of the, none of the leaders have been able to inspire Canadians enough to pull ahead. Even, you know, when this awful uh, Syrian refugee crisis started getting a lot more coverage, uh, with the death of that that poor boy, um, you know, 
it woke Canadians up that something wasn't right, but I'm, they don't know. I don't think we know what's not right, and I don't think we know what differentiates the Liberals from the NDs from the Conservatives. Yeah. It all seems like same shit, different pile, you know? Three piles of shit, all polling at 30% each. I, I would not use those terms personally, no. but I do agree with your thesis, <laughs> which is that uh, Stephen Harper and Thomas Mulcair and Justin Trudeau yep. have all failed thus far to give the majority of Canadians a reason to vote for them. And, 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 have it, and inspired uh, a majority of Canadians to say yes that is the person who I believe could lead my country for the next four years. Totally agree. And part of the problem is that, uh, with the exception, I think, of one of the five major parties, um, nobody's released their platform. Like, they just, they, nobody was ready. And, you know, certainly that's what... Which is weird to say because the conservatives should have been ready. Well, I mean, let's take a look back at the provincial election. Why did Jim Prentice call an election when he didn't need to? knew things were going to get worse, and had to have known that Albertans weren't super satisfied with the way things were going. Hubris. The answer is hubris. It has to be. You know, an, an incumbent can't believe that they could possibly lose. It's hubris. Well, and the conservatives have been in power for 10 years. Which actually isn't that long. But it is pretty long. the litmus for Canadian patience. Yes, it in, is. In a weird way. That's Because true. historically... Uh, any government that's hit the 10-year mark has been thrown out on its ear. And it yep. doesn't matter which government it is. Or what scandal brings them down. It's it's always something, it's always, they've been in power too long, they become entrenched, they become arrogant, and Canadians go, that's not the government, that's not the good government that we were promised. Yeah. And they throw them out. And it, I will, I will make this bold prediction right now. If the conservatives get outed, get ousted this election. Yeah. If... And another party comes in, doesn't matter who. If they are in power for 10 years, they'll be up to their eyeballs in scandal and they'll be thrown out in 10 years' time. You're probably right. And it doesn't matter who. Yeah. And I also think, you know, I think no matter who wins this election, at least based on what we're seeing today, it's going to be a minority government situation. Uh, based on the 30% polling of all three of the major leaders, that would not surprise me in the least. And... We haven't historically, at least not in the last 10 years, done terribly well with uh, minority governments. Nope. But um, Which means that we would probably be at the polls again ugh, very quickly after that. This is just costing a fortune. Yep. Anyway. And it's because the people in the halls of power don't care. That's right. About that. Well, let me ask you this, and, and you don't have to tell me for who, but have you decided who you'll support in your riding? Yes. You have. Okay. I have. Uh, you're very lucky, because I still don't know. Um. That's yes, a, that's okay. That's I'm, good. I'm not going to. I refuse to publicly uh, support anybody or and to say who I'm going to be voting for. I don't think you should. Partly because of my position professionally, yeah. I should not be endorsing anybody. Um, so, but I have made up my mind whom I will be voting for in my writing. Well, that makes one of us. I'm still, I just don't know. Because, I mean, I know that. And I should, I will point out, I'm not a, some diehard party supporter. I have voted. For different parties in the past. Yeah. Now, I, uh, up until Bill C-51 was passed, I was a liberal member. Uh, and part of that is because of the person who's running in my riding uh, as a liberal, uh, Randy Boisenau. Good friend of mine, nice guy, 
I think he'd do fine. Then Justin Trudeau voted in favor of C-51, and that really rubbed me the wrong way. So I chopped up my liberal membership card, um, and I have no clue who to vote for. And it's, so that's not to say you might not still vote liberal. That's true. But what it's, gonna it's come no down longer to, certain. It's going to come down to, at least for me, the way I'm seeing things now, the lesser of evils. It's, it's, I'm st- there's no one out there who I'm just like, fuck yes, I'm voting for that person, um, and they have a good chance of forming a government. That's the way I look at it. So once again, we're in this situation where you're damned if you do and really damned if you don't. Now, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of, while we're on the topic of the, uh, of the election, I'm, yes. I'm going to put this out there. I've seen a lot of talk in the last couple of days especially, uh, but it's been, it's been percolating over the last few months uh, as the election has been ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Harper has been taking a lot of jabs at Alberta. Yes. A lot. A lot of jabs at Alberta. Yep. Where his riding is. Yes. His home province. He's been calling us all dumb. He has He's been. been calling us all dumb for voting for the NDP. Yep. And seeing as they were elected, I hate to say it, but that means the majority of Albertans voted for them. So yeah. he's saying the majority of Albertans are dumb. And I, that seems like an interesting campaign strategy for holding on to what is traditionally your stronghold province. A stronghold province that just got rid of, A, one of your former lieutenants, and B, your party, essentially, yeah. on the provincial level. Like, like destroyed them. Absolutely. And what, what he's appealing to, all, all I think that does is galvanize conservative voters in Alberta. So he's looking for uh, buyer's remorse type voters who voted NDP. And from, from that point on the spectrum, all the way to the right, to the people who support Wild Rose. Those are the people that he's, he's trying to ensure will support him. The question is whether or not that's going to backfire. Whether or not Albertans decide, you know what, fuck you. We actually know what we're doing here. We're not children. We're not children. They've, the NDP have been in power for four months. So they haven't really had enough time to get us out of the mess the conservatives got us into. We don't even have a new budget yet. We'll have one after the federal election in October. And then I think it will become pretty clear what kind of government we elected. But don't forget, the NDP in Alberta ran on a progressive platform for sure, but not a far left platform. Nope. Not the, the, the reform that the NDP were suggesting, some of that was cribbed from the conservatives. Yeah. They were suggesting the same thing. They actually took a surprisingly centrist yes. and moderate approach in the last election. And I think that's, that was smart yeah. because they knew that that was essentially the path to victory because Albertans are, like it or, or hate it, a little more conservative yeah as compared to much of the rest of the country and might not have jumped wholeheartedly into uh, a very strongly left-leaning agenda true and so the ndp tempered themselves and went a little more moderate and that's great that's not what the federal ndps are necessarily doing but it it worked provincially well so i i actually think that is kind of what the federal ndp is doing i think they're a little bit more centrist in this campaign than the liberals have been, which is kind of interesting. But I mean, any any governing party will move to the center, either to win an election or to hold on to power. That's just kind of naturally what they do. Because it turns out that people are people. They're pretty And balanced. most people are, and I'm sure I've said this on the show before too, Most I think most Canadians are fairly moderate. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, that's 
kind of where you have to go. And, and there are a lot of people who probably kind of hate that fact, but it's true. Yeah, no, totally. So we still don't know what's going to happen federally. We, we do know that there will be a, a provincial budget released in October, yep. but who knows if the, the, if moderate Albertans will continue to support the NDP. Because it, it, we'll it could go either way. It could go either we'll way. We'll have to wait and see. But it's been a very interesting summer uh, in Edmonton, in Alberta, and all across Canada. Yes. And we have not been here to talk about it. And, and now that we've cleared the pipes uh, on all of these topics... Which uh, we know, obviously, that you've been burning to hear us talk you about. You wanted to know what Scott and I thought about all this stuff, and now you know. And, uh, and we'll get on with the season in our next episode, which is going to be great. The rest of the season is going to be amazing. Our last season will be very interesting. In spite of the misfire at the start. Yes. Which just could not be... Avoided. Avoided. We'll find, we'll find our way out of these catacombs and continue to bring you great content until the end of 2015. Now, a couple of things to remember. If you want a tainted coffee mug, get in touch with us on Twitter or on our Facebook page or email uh, scott at theunknownstudio.ca. And Scott's going to handle all that. Apparently, I'm going to handle it. You're going to handle it. And if you want to send messages of love, support, regret or just beg us not to stop the show i mean we'll we'll hear such please yeah it so, might not change our minds but we will certainly hear them email those same messages to scott at the unknown studio or adam at the unknown studio.ca he <laughs> can also us. take some of those do it do it for both of us and uh yeah this is this is the beginning of the end but it's going to be one hell of an end i i was saying that about a potential donald trump presidency as well <laughs> we can only hope another thing we should talk about maybe next episode for sure yeah we'll uh, we'll bring up all of the that donald stuff. the donald thanks for listening you've been listening to the unknown studio episode 119 pre-production by adam rosenhart post-production by scott c bourgeois you can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca thanks for listening